0: in the early 2000s head and shoulders the anti-dandruff product sold 26 variations of shampoo you had classic deep clean supreme moisture anti-frizz and so on the thinking was the more choice the more sales with more choice more customers can pick a shampoo that's right for them this made sense to pretty much everyone except today's guest. See, today's guest, the world-leading expert on choice, told Procter & Gamble, the company behind Head & Shoulders, to reduce the number of variations from 26 to 15. The team agreed to try it in a trial and measure the results. And when they did, something very interesting happened. Contrary to conventional wisdom that choice leads to sales, they found that reducing the number of choices increased sales for head and shoulders by 10%. Today, that world-leading expert on choice, Professor Sheena Iyengar, will come on Nudge to explain why. Success Story, hosted by Scott D. Clary, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Success Story features Q&A sessions with successful business leaders, keynote presentations, and conversations on sales, marketing, business, startups, and entrepreneurship. Back in December last year, Scott did an episode with marketing legend Seth Godin on how to hire well, which I think is well worth tuning into. So listen to Success Story wherever you get your podcasts. My guest today is Sheena Iyengar. Her first book, The Art of Choosing, was Goldman Sachs' 2010 Business Book of the Year. Her famous TED Talk on choice has been viewed almost 10 million times and here she is introducing herself.
1: My name is Sheena Iyengar and I am the S.T. Lee Professor of Business at the Columbia Business School.
0: Sheena Iyengar is most well known for her famous study on supermarket jams. This study, published back in 2000 and cited over 5,500 times, is one of the most well-known studies in behavioural science. It changed marketers' perception on choice and encouraged hundreds of businesses like Procter & Gamble to reduce their options. Many of you will know this study, but few of you will know the story behind the study. Here it is.
1: People often think of me as the lady who did the JAM study, and they think that I went into to doing the JAM study with this, you know, insight already that having too many choices somehow could be problematic. And that's not actually true. Um, the real story is that I was very interested in studying choice, not from the perspective of too much choice, but because from the perspective of somebody who was bicultural, I was Indian American, and I thought, you know, choice has so much uh, of a halo effect as a function of Western philosophy, Western ideology, you know, after liberty is second only to life and the Declaration of Independence. Um, and so I wanted, really wanted to look at it from the perspective of culture. And I was doing this study as a pilot where I brought in these young kids. Um, they were three-year-olds in nursery school, and they were either kids of Asian parents, so Chinese and Japanese or they were, you know, European American kids. And it was very simple. I just had them come in and they either were confronted by Legos, and that was the sort of new toy, or they were confronted by lots and a whole room filled with toys. And really, I was just trying to see and thought, and my speculation was that Asian kids were so used to having a narrative around parents make the choice that they wouldn't want lots of choice, that this was really an American phenomenon. And so I was really looking for a cultural difference. What happened instead was whether it was Asian children or American children, um, Asian heritage children or European American heritage children, um, when they walked in, if they saw a lot, they just sat down and stared out the window and waited to be sent back to their class. And I was befuddled, like, wait, they're supposed to Well, they're supposed to want all these toys I'm giving them. And I kept thinking that maybe I was giving them boring um, toys and kept expanding the choice set of toys. Um, and what was happening is that when they walked in the room and there was only the Legos, you know, they, they kept playing and they didn't even want to go back to class. I was like, wait, this goes against everything that the research said. The research said that they're supposed to like choice. They're not supposed to like it when I told them they could only play with Legos.
0: This was the first study Sheena ever conducted, and it was a complete failure. Taking place in the first months of her PhD program at Stanford University, Sheena tried to measure culture differences in choice at the local Bing nursery school. But there were no cultural differences. The kids acted in an identical yet peculiar way. With lots of choice, the children seemed uninterested in playing, but with less choice, with just one Lego set, the children were suddenly intrinsically motivated to play. It's important to remember that this was at a time when the scientific consensus spoke of the importance of giving people choice to motivate them. The prevailing wisdom was that when it came to choice, it was the more the merrier. But what Sheena accidentally observed was the opposite. A few years after this failed experiment at the Bing Nursery School, Sheena began her doctoral dissertation. She couldn't get this old experiment out of her head. She kept asking herself if choice affects motivation, if we need constraints, and if so, what limits do we need? And thus, her famous JAM study was born.
1: So the jam study uh, was published in the year 2000, and it took place in an upscale grocery store that was located in Menlo Park, California, and it was called Drager's. Now, at that time, this was a unique store. It offered people lots and lots of varieties like, you know, 250 different types of mustards and vinegars and mayonnaises, and they offered about three, over 300 different jams back then. And so I did a little study where I set up a little tasting booth right near the entrance of the store where we either put out six different flavors of Wilkin and Sons jam. So the Queen of England's jam or the Royal jam or 24 different flavors of jam. And, you know, the usual flavors of orange and grape were not in there. Uh, So they were all unique flavors like quince and little scarlet and lemon curd, etc. And so now we looked at two things, in which case were people more likely to stop and sample some jam? And second, in which case were people more likely to buy a jar of jam? And what we observed was that more people stopped when there were 24 on display, 60%, versus six jams, about 40% of them stopped. And, And those are different populations. Now, when it came down to buying behaviour, we saw the opposite effect. Of the people who stopped when they were 24 on display, only 3% of them bought a jar of jam. Whereas of the people who stopped when they were 6 on display, 30% of them bought a jar of jam.
0: More Choice did actually encourage more shoppers to stop at the stall, 60% compared to 40% in Sheena's study. But it ultimately led to far fewer sales. For the sake of simplicity, let's assume just 100 people walk past the stall. According to Sheena's results, 12 people would buy when less choice is offered, but only two would buy when more choice is offered. Since the JAM study was published in the year 2000, there have been over 900 follow-up studies that have gone on to show the negative connotations of offering people more choice. In her book, Sheena shares how giving people more investment choices leads to worse investment decisions. She also shares how those looking for a partner make worse decisions when there's more choice. And even when you give people creative tasks like writing an essay or creating a piece of art, the more choice they get, the worse they'll do. Daniel Pink, in his book To Sell This Human, shares another study on this concept. In the study, the researchers recruited participants who wanted to learn German. Then, the researchers divided the participants into two groups. One group had to choose between an online German language course and a German language software package. The other group had to choose between the same products plus a cheaper German dictionary, in-person lessons and a host of other choices. Adding more choice, well, it worsened decisions. That second group were 26% less likely to pick one of the options. The researchers wrote that adding extra items led to a decline in the consumer's willingness to pay. In Sheena's book, The Art of Choosing, she shares real-world examples of this concept, like the Golden Cat Corporation. This is a real cat litter production company. What they did is they got rid of 10 of their worst-selling cat litter products – And you can probably guess what happened. See, previously you might have expected that sales would drop with fewer choices or perhaps that sales would stay the same. But that is not what happened. The company actually increased income by 87%. This is because there were both higher sales and lower expenses as a result of reducing their product quantity. And arguably the best example of reducing choice to improve your business comes from McDonald's. Originally, they had a 27-item menu. This is back in the 50s. And this menu had hamburgers, cheeseburgers, but also barbecue beef, barbecue pork, chili with tamale, chili with beans, ham and beans, fried chicken, melted cheese, fries, peanut butter and jelly fries, and a whole host of other things. And this is because the conventional thinking was the more choice you give customers, the more customers you get. Their stroke of genius was in spotting that 87% of their income came from just three items hamburgers, fries and drinks. So they took the risk of reducing their menu to just those three items and the result, as we all know, was almost instantaneous. McDonald's sales doubled and then doubled again and this switch led to the birth of the fast food industry. But is there an optimal number of choices? See, McDonald's picked three choices, Sheena's jam study worked with six, head and Shoulders tried 15 products. So what is the optimal number of choices? Find out after this quick break. As many of you know, I have just quit my job to go full time on Nudge. But prior to that, I spent my career working in startups. And startups aren't easy. It's long hours, small teams, tiny budgets. It makes marketing hard work, but it doesn't have to be. HubSpot for startups can help grow your business without growing your stress. Their all-in-one platform connects your sales, marketing and support all together. So you can increase your leads, you can fast track your deals, smooth out support and join a platform that more than 190,000 top brands trust. HubSpot also offer discounts for startups on their top-rated customer platform and not the type of discounts that barely make a dent. So if you're ready to boost your marketing without breaking the bank, look no further than HubSpot for Startups. To see how much you can save, visit hubspot.com startups. Okay, back to the show. We know a choice of six jams is better than a choice of two, and we know 24 is too many. But what about 12? Or what about 15? I asked Sheena if there is an optimal number of choices.
1: I tell people Miller's magical number 7 plus or minus 2. In fact, I usually go a little lower than 7. I I usually think the optimal is somewhere between 3 and 6 because our brains can sort of sort through those. That being said, I cannot tell you that scientifically definitively i can simply tell you that anecdotally i can tell you that no matter how many contexts that we have looked at it hits that range but it's you there's no way to do a real study to definitively prove that
0: sheena's advice is to follow george miller's research Miller famously found that people were able to keep seven items in their mind as they made a choice plus or minus two. So maybe as little as five, maybe as many as nine. More than that and the result is cognitive overload where people tend to get confused and make a bad choice as with the jams or perhaps they make no choice at all. Less than that, and there's usually not enough options for people to actually pick what they want or feel like they have some autonomy over the decision. Researcher Daniel Mochon from Tulane University has studied the impact of offering too little choice. In fact, this aversion for too few choices has a name. It's known as the single option aversion. He ran a brilliant 2013 study in which people could purchase a DVD player. In some cases, they were shown only a Sony DVD player, and in other cases, they were shown the same Sony product and a Philips DVD player. Mochon found that when the Sony DVD player was the sole option, only 9% of the study participants said they would buy it. But when two options were presented, 32% of the participants indicated they would buy the Sony product. So adding two options rather than one nearly quadrupled the purchase intent. Too little choice decreases action, too much choice decreases action. Inventors, artists and musicians, the people we deem most creative, have long known the value of putting the right constraints on choice. Sheena shares a great quote from the famous jazz musician Wynton Marcellus. He said, You need to have some restrictions in jazz. Anyone can improvise with no restrictions, but that's not jazz. Jazz always has some restrictions, otherwise it might sound like noise. Since Sheena's famous jam study was published, thousands of other researchers have cited it and used it. So, 20 years on, what does she think the impact of this research is? I asked her.
1: I'm actually right now in the midst of writing a review for science that looks at the 20 years of research that's been done. It is like thousands of studies done that I didn't even know about until I started to do this review that have looked at the consequences of offering people a lot of choice, including by the way, with animals, uh, which I had no idea about. Um, And um, I would say that there are three main consequences the more choices people are offered. Um, The less likely they are to make a choice uh, like procrastinate or delay, um, the more suboptimally they'll make a choice. Certainly we saw that in investment cases, which is what led to things like the automatic enrollment program, which has been enormously successful. Uh, They also have similar problems when it comes to medical decision-making, which is obviously a longstanding debate in the U.S. What do you do when people choose them optimally when it comes to their medical choices? And yet the medical options are rising. Um, And third, the more choices people have, they are on average less satisfied with whatever they've chosen as compared to if they had a a lower choice set. Um, But as you know, you see two things happening in our world and it's it's there's this constant sort of bipolar world happening where on the one hand, we live in a world where we're shrinking our information set, shrinking our choice set, but we also in other aspects of our world are expanding our choice set expanding our information set so much so that we don't know what's meaningful or meaningless, fake, real. What's noise? Uh, you know, So, we, we do have these dilemmas that we're consciously and subconsciously confronted by almost every day.
0: To summarize, Sheena's 20 year review of all the thousands of studies on choice found that more choice makes us less likely to make a choice, more choice makes us more likely to pick suboptimally, and more choice makes us less satisfied with the choice we make. In his book, The Art of Thinking Clearly, Rolf Dobelli questions how this has an effect on dating for single people today. See, divorce rates in the UK have doubled since the 1960s. Now, that might be down to a collective move away from religion or perhaps a social acceptance with divorce, but it could also have something to do with choice. Rolf says that if you ask young people what's important in a life partner, they'll reel off all the usual qualities – intelligence, good manners, warmth – the ability to listen, a sense of humour, and of course physical attractiveness. But he asks, do they actually take these criteria into account when choosing someone? Hundreds of years ago, a young man from a village of an average size could choose among maybe 20 girls of a similar age. So very recently in human history, choice around dating was very constrained. This young man, he would have known the families and vice versa, and this would have led to a decision based on several well-known attributes. Nowadays, in the era of online dating, there are millions of potential partners at our disposal. Sheena has proven that this level of choice usually leads to sub-optimal decisions, and Rolf argues that this mind-boggling variety forces the male brain to reduce the decision down to one single criteria, which tends to be physical attractiveness. And the consequences, potentially, of this worse selection process are crappy dates, heartbreaking relationships, and a 42% divorce rate in the UK, up from just 23% in just 60 years. Now, there's not much progress on dating and choice overload. This is a problem most single people still face today. But there has been great progress on choice overload in other areas. Here's Sheena to explain more.
1: But I would say the biggest uh, the 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 biggest success from the the too much choice observation from from 2000 uh, I would say the automatic enrollment programs and the progress we've made around retirement savings in so many different countries has been tremendous. That's probably our biggest success.
0: Sheena's research has helped inspire governments across the world to make pension schemes auto enrollment, helping millions of us save more for retirement. But she's also inspired researchers to look at how choice affects us in all walks of life. Cassie Holmes, a previous guest on Nudge, told me how having too much free time can lead to unhappiness. More than five hours of free time a day will make you as unhappy as having less than two. Clearly too much choice here has an effect. And Elizabeth Holmes and Michael Norton have found that reducing access to chocolate made people enjoy it more. In the study, students tasted chocolate and rated their enjoyment. Following this, one group of students promised to abstain from chocolate for one week. Another group of students pledged to eat as much as they comfortably could and received a £2 bag of chocolate to help them fulfil their pledge. When they returned the following week to sample additional chocolate, the group who indulged in chocolate throughout the week enjoyed it much less than those who abstained. Choice influences enjoyment, but here's another interesting thing about choice. It even harms our knowledge, harms our intelligence. So consider this question. Which city has more inhabitants, San Diego or San Antonio? Researcher Gerd Gigersner of Max Planck University in Germany put this question to American students at the University of Chicago and German students at the University of Munich. 62% of the students in Chicago, the American students, guessed right, they guessed that San Diego has more. But astonishingly, every single German student answered correctly. Now, why is this? Are German students smarter than American students? No, that's not the case. Uh, Do German students have a better understanding of US geography? No. The reason why is German students had less choice All of the German students had heard of San Diego, but very few had heard of San Antonio. So they just opted for the first choice that came to mind, which was the more familiar city, San Diego. For the students from Chicago, however, both cities were household names. Both cities were well known, and thus a choice needed to be made. For the Germans, the lack of information reduced the choices, helping them pick optimally. For the Americans, there was too much information, and a choice made their decision worse. Reducing the number of choices can make your products sell better, can make your love life happier, and your weekly chocolate bar more enjoyable. All of this sounds pretty simple, but it is hard to follow. The temptation to increase our access to choice is always there. More potential dates lie just to swipe away on Tinder, more chocolate can be delivered in minutes via our phone, and adding products to our business is often easier than taking them away. Just look at Head & Shoulders. Like I mentioned right at the start, they increased their sales in 2009 by reducing their options from 26 to 15. But they couldn't stick with this decision. Head to their website today and you'll see 60 different products, including 35 different shampoos. Too much choice is bad for us. This is easy to remember, but hard to live by. Now, I usually end my show by asking you to do lots of different things. I typically ask you to leave a review, to subscribe on Spotify, to follow me on Twitter. But inspired by today's insight, I'm going to reduce the amount of choices that I'm going to offer you. So if you're looking to learn more, I suggest you go and check out Sheena's latest book, Think Better. It goes into detail about her work around choice overload and documents the psychology behind ideas. It is a brilliant read. If you like today's show, you'll love that book. I would leave it there but I know and you know that we all suffer from single option aversion so I'm going to give you one more choice and that is to sign up to my weekly newsletter. If you do, you'll get a behavioural science tip each week and access to my personal email address so you can send me an email to let me know what you think of the show. You'll also get the first look at all new Nudge episodes. So links to both of these choices are in the show notes. You can go there to sign up to my newsletter and to find a link to Sheena's book And that is all from me today, folks. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Nudge. I am your host, Phil Agnew, and I will see you all again in one week for another episode. Cheers.